0: Hello out there, wherever you are Our lovely Salonista listener Are you in the supermarket? Are you in the bath? I hope wherever you are, you're comfortable And ready to listen to a podcast of my live literary salon Where I tempt the world's finest writers to read from their latest, greatest works And share their own stories Today's podcast comes to you from a very special literary salon in Brighton, where I live, which we did for Little Green Pig, which is a brilliant writing and mentoring charity for young people. Do look them up. Sometimes, rather than talking very straightly to a writer about their own book, I like to talk to people who aren't writers but who do love books about the books that shape them. And we call this Spot Story of My Life. For this episode, I'm joined by Alexis Petridis, multi-award-winning rock and pop critic for The Guardian, who shares his love of the Adrian Mole diaries by Sue Townsend. Adrian Albert Mole started keeping his first diary when he was 13 and three quarters, and in it he revealed his dreams, desires, and the torment of being an undiscovered intellectual, here to share his affinity with Adrian and give a peek into his own teenage years is the amazing Alexis Petrides, aged 46 and a half. For it being to talk about something that isn't music. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's very nice It's very exciting. So when I asked you this question, it came to you immediately. I said, if yeah. I had to say, what's the story of your life? There was no second thought. You just went straight in there with Adrian Moore. Yeah. yeah. So what, where, does, where does your love of him come from and why has it endured? Um,
1: I sort of discovered the book when I was about uh, I suppose I was 11 years old. Nearly 12. Uh, a friend's brother had a copy of it. And this was sort of before it got big. I was, I was a little bit ahead of the Adrian Moore curve. Uh, early adulthood. early adopter early as adulthood. Um, and um, as I guess I discovered it in that kind of liminal period uh, between sort of uh, being a kid and being a teenager you know it's a slightly odd period that my eldest daughter's now in um, and I subsequently went on to read all those kind of big teenage books that you know I assume teenage boys still read now like uh, Catcher in the Rye yeah. you know The Outsiders by S. C. E. Hinton and On the Road by Jack Kerouac and I liked all of those but they didn't stay with me in the same way that the Secret Diary of Adrian Mole did. I have never, uh, you know, picked up a copy of The Catcher in the Rye since I read it when I was fourteen or whatever. Um, I probably reread this book on an sort of annual basis. Probably really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not like there isn't like a yeah. date where I go it's Adrian Mole day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do that. Um, but yeah, I find myself sort of reaching for it. Um, a lot. This and the, 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 the second book, The Growing Pins of Adrian Mole. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really um, and what is it
0: that you're expecting to find when you reach for it? I mean, yeah. what, what points are you in your life? It, it's,
1: it's different now than it was then. My, yeah. my, you know, The amazing yeah. thing about The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole is it was not a book intended for children. Um, Sue Townsend wrote it as a book for, for adults, as a book for parents mm. of teenage children. And what I got out of it when I was 11 or 12, I don't really understand now because I sort of identified. With the character of Adrian Bolle, who's like he's a pain in the arse. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, he's this sort of you know he's a hypochondriac. He's a prig. He's kind of quite an annoying person. Now you know as a parent, I sort of identify much more with particularly with his mother, who is brilliant. Who is my sort of favourite character in the book. Um, she has the best line in uh, in certainly either of the first two books, where. Uh, Adrian Moore becomes... Uh, Breakfast TV starts in Britain in 1983, and Adrian Moore becomes uh, sort of sexually obsessed with Selena Scott uh, and starts having, starts having dreams about her. And there's one this amazing dream. He has this amazing dream about Selena Scott where she's selling cucumbers door-to-door. And, uh, <laughs> and he buys one of her. And he says, at one point, he says, you know, I tried to tell my mother, but she wasn't interested. You said, uh, "Adrian, there's only one thing more deadly boring than being told other people's dreams, and that's being told other people's problems." Which is such a just like it's such a fantastic line. So motherly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's the sort of way I try and raise my children. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so you talked about the kind of character that he he is, and in many ways, he's he's sort of he's sort of unlikable, and mm. yet. He's completely compulsive. You want to spend time with him on the page, even if you can spend time with him in the playground. Yeah, I think there's a sort of... Another
1: thing that I didn't get at the time when I first read it is, you know, it's a book that has this sort of incredible... The sense of humour of the Midlands, which I, I didn't know anybody from the Midlands when, when I first
0: read it. So, Whitley, really, you, you were born in Sunderland, then had you I, moved... I grew up in Yorkshire. Okay, okay so, so you were further... So north. I kept moving further south as time went on. I think mean, you're in um, Brighton now. Can I'll be, am, I'll be able to see if I do so did it seem exotic to you the world? Of no, Leicester didn't seem that exotic like to me. <laughs> it did to me. I'm not really, in Glasgow, I just thought it was kind of like where is this place called Leicester? <laughs> you know, I just I just thought that it it did actually seem it seems to me it seemed southern. Actually. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. It did seem really okay. southern to me. But anyway, to you, was no. Mid- it was just that
1: sort of, there's a sort of certain sense of humour that, that, that exists in the Midlands. That it's kind of this very doleful sense of humour. It's this kind of like it's a sort of extended sigh of despair that you laugh, you know. <laughs> and that's all the way through the Secret Diary of Adrian Mole. That's there's a sort of cadence to the writing all the
0: way through it that's based around that sense of humour um, that I find really compelling, incredibly funny, you know. Yeah, I, I and mean, I remember the line, um, was it, Was it, it's the first day of spring, the council came out and cut down all the elm trees. Yeah, all the elm trees in Elm Tree Drive. All the elm trees in <laughs> Elm Tree drive, elm yeah. elm yeah, yeah. drive, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> kind of perfect. Well, there's a
1: sort of other thing where she, what, what, what she did that was sort of quite brilliant was, it's kind of got a certain sense of quite vicious adult humour that slipped in, uh, you know, through this character of this sort of unwitting teenage boy. So I'll say things like, you know... Uh, uh, Burt Baxter showed me a picture of his first wife. It was taken in the days before they had plastic surgery. And nice. it's, uh, stuff like that, is, I think, you know, I find uh, compulsive. There, there's, there's a great line about,
0: um, he sees, is it the one where he sees a picture of his mother or he sees his mother in, in a car park and he says, um, her bad ways of living are catching up. <laughs> he says, of his own mother. And I think he's a teenager <laughs> at that point. Um, so, so Adrian harbors ambitions of being a great writer. Yeah. This is his. This is his. I mean, he's a he really is an intellectual who's trapped among idiots. He feels you know? he's yeah. an intellectual, which is which is I think the other thing that's sort of yeah. universal
1: about it. He thinks he's the sole voice of sanity in a world gone mad. Yeah, and everybody thinks that. At some point, you know, at some point in your life, you feel like yeah, I mean, everything around me is stupid, you know, and that is his sort of default setting. And uh, I find that.
0: So when so when you were when you were a teenager or when you were eleven and you were reading these through your teens, were you harbouring ambitions of being a great writer or a great musician, or I was, what, what, what was your kind of I, I, undiscovered I, I, superpower? Uh, well, you know, it certainly wasn't being a musician because I gave that a go,
1: and, and uh, people would pay good money to hear me not not to play the guitar Sorry. and sing. It was a, it was a disaster. Um, I, I, Is that um, your review of yourself? Yes. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> listen to it. It's terrible. Nine no. out of ten. Um, uh, I, I suppose, I don't know, it just impacted on me, I suppose it impacted on me in that it made me start a diary, so it was probably the first bit of kind of knowing writing that I did that wasn't schoolwork. Uh, unfortunately, uh, starting a diary was a, it was a disaster, uh, in that nothing happened to me. I mean, <laughs> absolutely nothing whatsoever happened to me. Uh, you know, I, 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 my parents—all these things that happened to Edgemoor didn't happen to me. You know, my parents didn't get divorced. My mother didn't run off with an insurance salesman. Um, I went to an all-boys school. So there was no Pandora. Um, you know, just literally. So the diary would be, and also because you know, I grew up in Yorkshire. Uh, I didn't talk about my feelings. You know, I don't, I don't know what Yorkshire's like now. Um, <laughs> Yorkshire, for all I know, the streets of Bradford may be filled with men weeping on each other's shoulders these days as they unburden their innermost woes. But, you know, I grew up in Yorkshire in the sort of 70s and early 80s. And, you know, if you were a man and you talked about your feelings in Yorkshire in those days, people would just, people have thought you were soft. People would have thought you were mentally ill. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. So my diary that I kept is like a very heavy-handed parody of the sort of uh, you know, boredom of life in the suburbs. It's literally every page is, uh, got up, went to school, came home, played computer games, had tea, went to bed. Over and over and over and over again. And then amazing Did you like I... record what you had for tea? No, the no. detail, detail passed away. You know. yeah. um, and amazingly, I found it uh, last year. I found the diary. And to compound the sort of uh, dullness and the misery of it, there were two <laughs> photographs in there. My dad had a Polaroid camera, and I took the Polaroid camera and had a go of it, and taken two photographs of the coal bunker in our back garden. <laughs> For the reason that they escaped. Me. And they fell out of the diary. So it was this sort of dreary litany of nothing happening. And, and, and two photos of a coal bunker. bunker. Yeah, yeah,
0: so... Just a little bit fritzily, the cohort. <laughs> um, so my relationship with with Adrian ends in his teens. I haven't read any yeah. of the later books. Yeah. I mean, because I think there were eight books so, yeah. in, in the end. Yeah. And I know that when she died, yeah. she, was she, working, she was working on another one, which was to be called Pandora's Box, which well, she's been <laughs> waiting for the moment to write that title. Um, and, um, and so we're never, never, never going to get that. Um, um, but um, did you did you read the later books? I did. Subscribe. I did because um, I,
1: I tailed off too. You know, uh, yeah. the older I got, and then a couple of years before she died, I interviewed Sue Townsend. Oh I my wrote God, you about. interviewed yeah. her. Yeah, um, and she was amazing. She was absolutely brilliant. She was exactly like the person that I thought had written Adrian Mole would be like when I was eleven or twelve years old. She was like your dream auntie, You know, oh, she was just incredibly funny um you know innate knowledge of how kids minds work she was just totally 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 brilliant um she said at the end of the interview i remember we chatted on for about an hour and got on really well and she was very very funny and she said at the end of the interview um i said oh it's been real fun she said yeah yeah you look after yourself be healthy and i thought god that's a bit of a weird thing to say and i didn't think any more about it until last year when I saw a documentary about her on BBC Two, Mm -hmm. uh, and she was desperately ill at the Mm -hmm. time and must have known she was kind of dying. Right. And it seems that that, it was something, it was just an odd remark that she made that obviously kind
0: of not meant a lot to her, but do you know what I mean? It sort of revealed a great deal about her without sort of me realising it at the time. But I think, the, I think that the diaries, for all they're very funny, there, there is also a great deal of sadness in there. I mean, yeah. Adrian is, you know, bad things happen to him and he has to, he has to reflect on them, and albeit in a kind of prickish way, but there's, there's something quite um, offhand about his sadness, or even yeah. Off stage.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it has to,
0: you know, what, what
1: her writing is brilliant at doing is emotionally turning on a sixpence, so you'll read mm-hmm. something that's incredibly funny, yeah. and by the end of the same diary entry, you know, he will say something incredibly sad, you know, and, it, and even if it's sort of, you know, even if he doesn't realise he's saying something incredibly sad, you know, the things that he thinks are sad about his life aren't particularly sad, as acne, and you know, yes. the size of his penis. Um, whereas, you know, all this terrible stuff is happening around him, death and divorce and, you know, um, and just little kind of, little sort of asides that happen to Barry Kent, who's the school bully, yes. his brother gets sent to the Falklands and sort of comes back from the Falklands in a kind of mentally damaged state. And that's kind of just alluded to at one point. It's incredibly subtle, sort of brilliant, brilliant writing. There's a lot of politics in the book as well, so isn't there? I mean,
0: yeah. He has that he line about Margaret Thatcher, about how... What is it? He writes of, a poem. He writes a poem, that's do right. Do you weep,
1: Mrs. Thatcher, do you weep? In your sleep, Mrs. Thatcher, in your sleep. Do you weep with three million... Or, do, you weep like, do you weep like a sad willow on your Marks and Spencers pillow? Do you
0: weep, Mrs. Thatcher, do you weep? <laughs> Uh, but it's, it, the, the book is, a, a, you know, a real document of the 80s, isn't yeah. it? Because there's aspiration and, yeah. you know, there's stature, there's and there's, there's all this kind of class conflict happening. Well, the and thing the, that's brilliant about it is that it, 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 it conjures up the kind
1: of uh, non-nostalgic version of the 80s. We think mm-hmm. about, you know, that's nostalgia right. is a, there's a great deal of nostalgia for the 80s and has been for the last like 15, 20 years maybe, you know, in sort of culture, in music, in the way people dress. And, um, you know, all nostalgia is a form of curation. You, you, you cut out the, the crap bits, the bits that don't suit the thing. Whereas this is the 80s that I remember, which is a sort of, you know, the 80s where everyone smoked indoors and the only thing open on a Sunday was the garden centre. You know, <laughs> oh, There's nothing on the telly and stuff like that. And that all kind of comes out in this book. You know, yeah. it's the 80s as I remember them being yeah. kind of. Okay. It's real and in full,
0: yeah. full angel delight type detail. Yes, absolutely. Vesta Curry's and Vesta Curries and yeah. the Bruschetta Sweet Whip. And it's a kind of an eighties in a way where you realise that in some senses and in some places it's sort of still the seventies. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not the eighties yeah. of yeah. yuppies in London. Is it? Oh God, no, no,
1: because no, it's a provincial eighties in yeah. the same way that you know you think of the sixties. Oh, the swinging sixties. You know, oh, it was amazing and everyone was taking LSD and wearing a cap And you know, my. my parents grew up in sort of, you know, Newcastle nobody was taking LSD and wearing a cap so you know um, that, the, the, there's that kind of element of it giving the lie of, of, yeah. you know
0: the reality of it So when did music come into your life? When did you have this band um, experiment? Can we not talk about the band? I don't <laughs> well, <you did laughs> um,
1: Yeah I, I had a band when I was at school okay. um, and uh, you know did realise very very quickly that was not where my, uh, my talents, talents okay. may have lay but it, but it is where you love. Was. So, yeah, but that, yeah. Happened the band, yeah. Okay. that happened when I was very, very young. Like, really young. How young? Uh, the, the three years old. Really? Yeah. With what? Um, uh, my parents, uh, they had a record player, like a dance set. You know, it wasn't a dance it was actually a decker nerdy. Yeah, so it was a decca <laughs> dance set. Very um, important um, the decca. And that was what would shut me up uh, as a kid, Is if I was allowed to play with the record player and play there. The records that they have and stuff like that. There's a photo of me, I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. making this up on my second birthday, and I'm dancing in front of the, yeah, set with a tambourine, and there's a poster on the wall behind me, a lass of Gary Glitter. Um, oh, no, no, no. No, no. No. Um, but you know, that, that, was, that was how much it sort of, you know, it, that was the kind of
0: main focus of my life uh, from that point on. Really, I think. That's amazing. That is incredible. Single-minded mm-hmm. and boring. Is what I am ultimately. It is not. That is, that's a very E.G. Mullish thing to <laughs> say. Yes, it is, actually. Yeah. It's a very E.G. Mullish thing to say. Um, in Juno's memoir, speaking of people having a great deal of feelings and being in Yorkshire and expressing them, as we'll get to in a minute, um, Juno talks about um, having a musical and kind of personal awakening around the Spice Girls right. as Ziggy Zigar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, who were your Spice Girls? Who were the, who, who were the people who spoke, the, what was the, mu- the music that spoke to you that you thought they're for me? Um,
1: Adam and the Ants. I yeah. saw Adam and the Ants on top of the pops doing Dog Eat Dog in November nineteen eighty and it was a life changing experience. It was brilliant because I was so sort of entranced by the music that I didn't take in that they were all wearing loads of makeup. And I went to school the next day. Oh, you see that band on top of the pops, Adam and the Ants? And obviously, you know, I was at an all-boys school in Yorkshire in nineteen eighty. And all that anybody else had noticed was the makeup the makeup. And uh, yeah, it was not a good thing to be uh, yeah, it didn't do much of my credibility like.
0: That was a gender crime. It was a gender crime. Yeah yeah yeah, a gender yeah, yeah, yeah. Crime. yeah I, a gender I, I believe crime. the
1: phrase used was gaylord. Gay I, I don't actually know what that means. I don't believe. The, the I'm term. not I'm sure, sure the that we're going actual, actual the... the roots of the
0: word gaelord. I'm not sure we. Exactly there isn't the actually a the... lord. I mean, was gay lord? Gays. <laughs> lord of the galleys. Elton. Elton. No, you bring us neatly on to Elton, um, because you are writing. You are writing with slash. For um, the book of Elton, <laughs> which sounds it's not it's what's going to be called. Yeah, what um, is it going to be called? Um, I don't know. Well, don't we, know
1: what? we've come up with at the moment uh, for the I'm ghostwriting Elton John's biography and all we've come up with at the moment is is um, the worst title imaginable.
0: <laughs> so you have got um, all the puns out of the way. Yeah, you know. So like, worst we, we came up with was uh,
1: what was it? Uh, My song, memoirs of a rocket man. Oh, oh. 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 oh.
0: That's, a, that's the kind of 199 yeah, road It's a little wonder- bit funny <laughs> So yeah, we haven't actually got a good title yet We've got loads of bad titles <laughs> and, and how did that How did that come about?
1: Uh, my close personal friend of Elton John's
0: um, I, 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 I went
1: to interview him I went to interview him mm. and uh, I really liked him, I, we got on really well And um, We sort of exchanged email addresses, and I thought, well, nothing's going to come of that. And then he got quite ill afterwards, he got pneumonia, and I sent an email going, I've heard you've been under the doctor, I hope you're well, you know. And um, he sort of wrote back, and a thing developed from there. So, um, yeah, he was was meant to be writing the book with somebody else, um, who who died very suddenly. um, And somebody literally died and left me in
0: charge, basically. You had nothing to do with their death. No, I'm <laughs> the killing. People <laughs> were thinking that, and that. It sound like that. It did sound like that. But you weren't specific enough about how they died, it's just that they were gone and you didn't care through the mantle. So, do you, are you interviewing
1: him? Are you spending yeah. lots
0: of. Sort of yeah. I mean, how, how does that work? Is he all around the world? And you're he
1: is like, all around the world. Um, I, I, mostly the interviews have been done in England. Um, it is a lot more uh, challenging. I don't know if anybody else in this room has done sort of ghostwriting. It's, I thought it was going to be quite easy, and it's not. Mm. Um, Why? Because um, because it's not like doing a normal interview, you mm. know. It's not like this sort of conversation. You have to be sort of weirdly, kind of boringly forensic about it. So, so did this happen on a Tuesday? You know, right. It's like, oh God, where were you sitting when this happened? Because you're trying to you know, write from his points of view. Yeah. So that aspect of it is quite is, is, is proving quite challenging. And mm. also just getting past, you know, he's done a lot of interviews. Yeah. And, you know, people who do a lot of interviews have a tendency to trot out the same stories over and over and over again. It's getting beyond that and going, well, you know, tell me something we don't know. This is like the episode of Alan Partridge, I don't know if you've ever seen it, where he's got a difficult guest and he ends up going, tell me an anecdote. No, I'm no, sorry, no, 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 that's not an anecdote, that's
0: just a story. Tell me an anecdote, you know, so it's a bit like that. Um, does anybody have any questions for the lovely Mr. Alexis Paschetti's? It could be about his whippet if you follow him on Facebook. It's a very badly behaved dog, and he recently had to pull a piece of rope out of its bottom. Yeah. That's true. That did happen, yeah. That was another very AGM-mullish thing in <laughs> their The dog, yeah. The dog, yeah. the dog. I don't know how you put up with that. I mean, you must love it, really. You really... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Deep down inside, I do, yeah, yeah. But I mean, on a day-to-day basis now, it's an absolute nightmare, having it? I, wish... I didn't want the dog in the first place. You know, I was bullied into getting a dog by my wife and children. And. Uh, I said, well, maybe we should get a it, because they're sort of aesthetically quite pleasing, and, and I'm shallow. And, um, <laughs> uh, and we got the whippet, and uh, what we didn't realise about whippets is whippets are uh, stupid. Everybody before we got a whippet went, oh, they're great. they're great with children, they're great with children. The minute we got it, you know, you know they're really thick, don't you? And now she is incredibly thick. Um, <laughs> she eats
0: everything.
1: She eats everything. She, um, there's no sense to learn behaviour. She'll eat a wasp. And vomit as, as you would if you were a live wasp. Yeah, would. Really. Um, and then immediately trying to eat another wasp. It, 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 it's just lens, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Um, you mentioned being bullied there by, by your daughters, and um, you, yes. I know um, wrote a fantastic piece for the Guardian, which I just wanted to ask you about um, very quickly about um, the power of live music mm. um, and going to see um, Jesse J yes. um, with your daughters um, yeah. after the Manchester attack. I wonder if you want to talk a wee bit about that.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't, uh, I'm not the sort of journalist that likes talking about uh, myself, talking about my family. I mean, other people do that, and that's great. It's just, again, as I said before, I'm from Yorkshire. We don't do that kind of thing. Um, and they rang up for the Guardian to oh, know, you know, have you got anything to say about this? No, of course not. Nothing to say about it. You know, mm. it's awful. You know, what, what can And then I thought about it a little bit and thought, well, you know, I think. In, you know, this is sort of speculation to a degree, that this was a targeted attack. Yeah, They could have blown up the Kings of Leon concert two weeks later. Yeah. He could have blown up the Kings of Leon concert two weeks later, and had he done that, he would have blown up different people. He would, you know, it's a pop concert. The main constituent audiences of pop concerts are, are young girls and LGBT young know, mm. people. Mm. Um, and for that reason, I think it's a targeted attack. Yeah. And I thought about, you know, I started taking my, my daughter to gigs um, because I wasn't allowed to go to gigs when I was young. You know, it was not so my parents allowed. And I thought, well, it's great. And we went to see Jessie J, who um, I can't stand. I think she's absolutely horrible. <laughs> well, she is, she's dreadful. Um, so did, are angry. J bad or angry. And on one level, it sort of was dreadful. But um, you sat I sat there and watched it through my daughter's eyes and saw what she saw and that was a very different thing to what I saw. So, you know, in between songs Jesse J would say all this stuff about, you know, if you dream it you can do it or something like that. And I was like, What a load of horse shit. (laughs) Um, But my daughter was like, oh, yeah, yeah, great, you know, just be yourself. And I thought, well, that's actually, you know, okay, that's probably not the worst thing you can say to a teenage girl, you know, Um, or a pre-teenage girl in my daughter's case. I just saw her excitement, and I saw her seeing this world, this world that is about to become her own, getting Mm. her first taste of it, this Mm. first taste of freedom, this first taste of being away from her parents, this first taste of, you know, to use an agency, I believe, my mm-hmm. own agency. And I thought, well, that's kind of worth writing about and that's worth sort of talking about. And that's why pop gigs are important, I think, and why, particularly for young girls, but for young boys as well, you know. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing. Uh, it's, an, it's a sort of interesting way to kind of you know, uh, steer their path into adulthood that sounds weird but do you, do you know what I mean yeah. about that kind of thing
0: it's a glimpse of a world that they're about to become a part of yeah, in sense. yeah and it's quite a moving thing in a lot of
1: ways I then subsequently took it to see um, <laughs> I took it to see Ed Sheeran and uh, for one reason or another uh, anyway we got backstage and uh, Ed Sheeran came in and met him a couple of times and I introduced my daughter to him and Ed Sheeran is whatever you make of his music Ed Sheeran is a capital human being and and uh, he came up and chatted on to my daughter was like, can I get a selfie? Uh, can I get a photo of them? And he went, oh, I can do better than that. Do you want a piggyback?
0: And gave me a piggyback.
1: <laughs> and uh, this, unfortunately, has now raised the bar. Uh, <laughs> really to. She thinks she's going to get in piggyback the plane, which is uh, which is not, not, not the case. Please join me in thanking Alexis Bajini. <laughs>
0: I enjoyed talking to Alexis Petridis I hope you enjoyed listening to him sharing his love for the secret diaries of Adrian Mole always worth a reread thank you for joining me today and I would love to hear from you whether that's about Adrian Mole or Alexis Petridis or about an author you think would be great for an upcoming salon get in touch with us via Facebook or Instagram Damien Barr's Literary Salon or tweet me at Damien underscore Barr thank you and goodbye